0: in the corner there's this beautifully carved wooden canoe. Without him needing to say anything, I kind of thought to myself, I bet that is Seth Godin's canoe.
1: You know when you're out with your workmates and it hits a point in the evening when someone says, all right, enough shop talk, what else is going on? And that's where the real conversation starts. This podcast is That Conversation. My name is Ama Iqbal and over the last 20 years leading innovation at companies like Facebook and Deloitte, I've met lots of interesting people. Sure, their day jobs sound cool, but I've always been fascinated by the real-life stories behind the executives. My guest today is Peter Shepard. Pete is the founder of Human Periscope, a boutique leadership development consultancy. He's also a former lead trainer at Alt-NBA, an in-demand public speaker, and co-host of the Long and the Short of It podcast. Here's my conversation with Pete. Pete, welcome to the Enough Shop Talk podcast. How are you doing? Good, mate. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. Uh, pleasure to chat with you as always. So, Pete, look, it's customary when we start this podcast. I usually give people 60 seconds or less to introduce themselves. <laughs> so, maybe you can give us a very quick intro on who you are and what you do for a day job.
0: All right. So, I'm Pete Shepard and I am the founder and director of a company called Human Periscope, which is basically a company that focuses on leadership development and executive coaching. Was that less than 60 seconds? Let's just stop there. Amazing.
1: Yeah, that, that was great. That's a very nice and concise version of who you are. But um, this is the point where I, I call a timeout and I say enough shop talk, because of course, this podcast is uh, not about what we do for a living. Although having said that, this is a bit of a different episode. The thing is, Pete lives such an interesting life. I thought it would be fun rather than just picking one topic. Let's revisit a year in the life of being a globe-trotting leadership coach and generally a citizen of the world, if that's all right with you.
0: All right. Sounds good.
1: Okay. So if that's not too lofty a setup, what we might do to kick things off is I'm going to play a bit of a game of true or false. So Mm -hmm. let's start with the first one. You used to be a head coach at Seth Godin's Alt-MBA. True or false? That is true. Okay. Okay. And, uh, despite being a consultant, a speaker, and a podcaster of some renown, you based your TEDx talk on imposter syndrome, true or false.
0: <laughs> that is true. I am a so, imposter one of one of the biggest. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so do you think this just does it just come with the territory of being an a so-called expert for a living?
0: as far as I can tell, most people who are, Growth minded and stretching and trying to create change, they'll at some point experience the feeling of being a bit of an imposter. And I know you and I have spoken about this before and sort of bonded over the fact that we both feel like imposters at times.
1: I don't know what you're talking about. I've never had that feeling once. <laughs> I've in just outed life. you. Sorry, mate. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And then my final true or false is you're actually six foot seven. You don't look that tall on the Zoom, but uh, you're yeah. quite tall. Is that true or false?
0: That's also true. Hard to tell on Zoom, but I am indeed six foot seven.
1: Well, the title of your podcast is The Long and the Short of It, presumably because your co-host, Jen, is five foot one. Um, That must make for some interesting promotional uh, photo shoots of the two of you standing (laughs) side by side.
0: It does. It does indeed. It's a name that works on a few levels, obviously the physical height difference. And then the way we structure the podcast is we try and come at things from the long and the short of it. So it's Definitely made for some very fun photo shoots in New York.
1: (laughs) And uh, how many times a day do you get asked whether you're a basketballer?
0: (laughs) At least one and or what's the weather like up there and or just a general like, wow, he's tall, like as if I can't hear. People tend to just blurt (laughs) out that fact at least They're not sure
1: whether the sound waves carry up that far into (laughs) the stratosphere.
0: (laughs) Something like that. Something like that. It's bizarre.
1: Well, look, I think we've gotten to know you pretty well, but I'm really keen to get stuck into these questions because you've had a year. Um, So I'm going to start actually with a great quote you mentioned last time we spoke. You said this, and correct me if I'm wrong, you overestimate what you can do in a week, but underestimate what you can do in a year. So in the last year you've traveled the globe through your work and had some great adventures that we'll get into a little bit later on but my first question is about the beginning of a new journey you embarked on uh in this last year so it started on a beach in Tasmania took a detour via the Italian countryside and is currently on a trajectory from one end of the Australian continent to the other of course I'm talking about your experience getting engaged and married this year congratulations Thanks, mate. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about how all of this happened?
0: Yeah, so it was, uh, I guess, a a little bit of a product of COVID and all of the lockdowns we had here in Melbourne, but more importantly, a product of having a great relationship with my now wife, Tracy. And so we had planned a trip to Tasmania during COVID that got cancelled, like a lot of people had an experience where a trip got cancelled and had postponed it to February, I think, earlier this year and i had planned to propose to tracy at some point on this trip and you and i were were laughing sort of earlier about when you when you when do you try and schedule in the proposal within a trip so that you can actually enjoy the holiday and not spend the two weeks worrying about the right time the right location where's the ring am i going to drop it and so i had a couple of plans one was thwarted pretty early which was to to propose to tracy on a hike and that was like on the second day that we were there and I got to the, we got to the bottom of the hike and we looked up the mountain and it was, <laughs> it was pretty treacherous, very rocky, a little overcast and knowing Tasmania, I suspected there might have been some rain coming so I thought, I don't think it's worth the risk of me trying to take a ring up there and so I parked that particular plan, left the ring, safely locked away in the car and then the following day, we went to a beach, a, a deserted, well, I thought it would be a deserted beach in a, fr- a place called Freycinet National Park And so we were kind of lying on the beach, Tracy trying to relax, read her book. And I was like nervously pretending like I was reading a book while also clutching a ring box in my hand and trying to make it not obvious that I had that in my hand. And I was kind of eyeing off this family who was still on the beach trying to like will them to leave to give me five minutes alone to propose to Tracy. And so that what felt like an hour, it was probably only 10 minutes, eventually they left. And because we were both lying down, I had to A, get Tracy's attention, which was difficult because she was in the middle of a great book and she wanted to know why I was bothering her. And then B, I had to get up on a knee instead of down on a knee. And being six foot seven with very long limbs, that was not quite as smooth as I would have hoped. (laughs) And so basically, I asked Tracy to marry me. She proceeded to say, oh, my God, I think a bunch of times without actually saying yes. Eventually, she said yes. And so I was finally, on day three of the holiday, able to take a deep breath. And where that kind of translates into our elopement was I thought like after this engagement proposal moment, I would I would go for a swim and cool off and just like take a minute, pat myself on the back and just kind of like, all right, it's done, it's great, this is happening. And so by the time I'd gone for a swim, which took all of five minutes and came back, Tracy had come up with a plan, which was to elope in Italy. So we already had a plan to go on a holiday to Italy. And because of COVID, because of our personal preference, because of many things, we thought, why not? Well, Tracy thought in five minutes, why not
1: <laughs> why not elope while we're over there? And so began the journey of eloping,
0: which I can obviously get more into.
1: Yeah, I like the response of oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. And you're not quite <laughs> sure where that's all going.
0: <laughs> that is must good have or bad. <laughs> uh,
1: Yeah, it must have left your heart in suspense for at least a minute. Okay, so you decided to elope and I mean it's even then people elope and they say, Let's go down to City Hall. But um right. You guys don't do things in halves, so (laughs) (laughs) it turns out you actually traveled all the way to Italy for this uh, getting eloped type situation. And that happened in June, right?
0: Yeah, that's right. So we, I mean, I kind of joke, but it's it's also true that by the time we'd finished our Tasmanian holiday, which was two weeks in total, Tracy had found a, a photographer in Tuscany and set up a call with them. She'd found a few dress shops that she wanted to make an appointment at here in Melbourne and she contacted a venue that would be a potential place for us to stay and and take some photos so it kind of all came together pretty quickly and i put that down a lot to (laughs) tracy being incredibly organized and it just sort of fell into place a little bit which i know i recognize now having spoken to many friends isn't what many people say about a wedding that it just falls into place but for us, we were very lucky. It it just sort of fell into place.
1: Any funny culture clash kind of moments, you know, eloping in Europe?
0: Of course. So the first thing we learned pretty quickly was don't do the legal paperwork in Italy because the bureaucracy and the Italians are notorious for being very laissez-faire, very relaxed. You have to go to town hall. You need to get a translator. They might be there. They might not. And so we pretty quickly realized that was not going to, be a good idea. So we did the legal paperwork in Australia with our parents present, which was a nice touch for them. And then when we were in we started in France, we ended up in Italy. We had all I mean all sorts of those classic moments where you order two espressos in Italian and you get two cappuccinos because they can't fathom why you would have an espresso in the morning instead of a cappuccino. And then I think the inverse can happen in the afternoon if you try and order a cappuccino in the afternoon, they'll, they'll inevitably give you an espresso. So that was quite funny. And then one of my favorite stories from the trip was Tracy doing her very, very best French while we're in Paris, trying to order just a Diet Coke and they brought her out a glass of red wine. <laughs> <laughs> she, something was lost in translation and then she had to proceed to try and explain to them that she didn't want a Diet Coke. She didn't want a red wine, she wanted a Diet Coke and that created a whole bunch of you know hilarity as it tends to when you're in a place where you don't quite speak the local language.
1: Well, it sounds like a, a script set for your memoirs one day. I'm sure it will be adapted into a movie. That sounds like the comedic scene. But I, I guess, so you mentioned at the start of the story, it, it all started with COVID. And mm. um, yeah, I guess there's a lesson there in terms of COVID has taught us not to wait. Um, yeah. So is there any kind of a, a lesson or a takeaway for you in all of this in terms of seizing the moment?
0: Definitely. I think I think a few things happened after the, after the kind of, extreme lockdowns ended in Melbourne. One was the learning, like you mentioned, of why wait, especially for us wanting to and already knowing we wanted to get married and and hopefully one day start a family. So it was kind of like why would we wait to prolong that event when you don't really know what can happen as, as sort of evidenced by COVID. And, and the other thing was we had I think like 13 or maybe it was 11. We got invited to 11 weddings this year because so many people had backlogs from COVID and so that idea of waiting was going to be realistically like 18 to 24 months if we wanted to have our own wedding with our with our friends here in in australia so those two things combined was kind of like why wait let's just seize the moment like you mentioned and 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 get
1: engaged and then get married what an inspirational story there you go you took a lesson (laughs) from COVID and actually put that into practice i think that's uh it's very easy for everyone to just go back to hey let's just go back to the way things were but i think you've you've really you know a- again put the learnings into reality um in terms of seizing the moment and yeah let's see how that goes from there uh, mm. so let's let's switch gears a little bit then we are going to talk i guess this is somewhat work related but kind of not i found this to be one of your most interesting stories i've heard so far amongst many many interesting stories so certainly one of the most interesting experiences you've had this year has to be your recent trip to New York, where you had a pretty unusual meeting with Seth Godin. So tell us a story. How did that come about and what actually happened there?
0: Yeah, so <laughs> Seth Seth Godin being a, you know the 20-time bestselling author that many people know, I've been, I would say, very lucky and fortunate enough to have spent some time working with him and his team on the Alt-MBA, which we sort of mentioned earlier. And as a result, have built up a bit of a, I guess, a bit of a relationship, bit of a friendship, if you like, with him. And I consider him a mentor and, 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 yeah, a friend. And so every time I go to New York, which pre-COVID was sort of once or twice a year for some work, I would just like touch base with Seth and say, hey, I'm going to be in town. How about I pop by the office and we'll have a cup of coffee and just have a chat. And inevitably, he's very generous with his time with me and he often says yes and that the conversation I ended up having with Seth ends up being something that, you know, <laughs> changes the trajectory of some particular project that I was thinking about. And, and so it's very worth my while. Anyway, so this time he had a different idea. Maybe this was COVID inspired as well for him. But he said, oh, don't bother coming to the office. How about I pick you up from the train station and we'll go for a paddle on the Hudson? And I said, oh, I mean, that that sounds kind of nice. Let's go for a paddle on the Hudson. And then I started thinking about, what sort of paddle like are we are we on a stand up paddleboard or are we lying down or are we in a canoe or in a kayak like what exactly does this involve but i i had an inkling based on what i know about seth that it was going to be relatively memorable and most likely involving some some sort of canoe so on the day i got the train up north of new york and he picked me up from the station as promised he took me to this sort of fairly rickety run down looking boat shed and we walk through the door and there's like you know carbon fiber kayaks and beautiful canoes and and all of these sort of fancy modern looking boats and paddle apparatuses and then in the corner there's this kind of old looking beautifully carved wooden canoe and without him needing to say anything i kind of thought to myself i bet that is seth godin's canoe and of course it was he he has uh, a hobby in woodwork and managed to handcraft his own canoe with his son and so we wheeled out this old thing that well it wasn't that old he actually built it during COVID and we wheeled it out and went for a paddle along the Hudson and it was <laughs> as you mentioned one of the most memorable hours or so of 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 my life certainly of this year and and paddling along the Hudson and sharing ideas and catching up with my mentor slash friend Seth Godin it's quite special
1: an amazing story. And I love that. Yeah, as soon as you woke, walk into the boat shed, you can just spot, okay, that kayak probably <laughs> belongs to Seth Godin, the one that really stands out. Not unlike, unlike himself, it. I'm sure. Okay, so you're out on the water. You're, you're paddling around in this uh, beautiful, ornate wooden canoe. How does that, a conversation with Seth Godin paddling down the river, how does that go?
0: I mean, in, in very... I guess in typical Seth Godin fashion, it, it starts off with a a generous but thought-provoking question, which you definitely didn't see coming. And so the question, if I recall correctly, was something like, when we paddle in a canoe, where does the water go? <laughs> and I was, I was still a little bit jet-lagged and it was quite hot and I was quite taken by the fact that I was in this wooden canoe trying to figure out how to paddle this thing and I, I was like searched my memory knowing that this was a, a a bit of a test if you like of my knowledge of boating and water and anyway somewhere deep in my brain i guess i remembered physics to some degree and i responded i don't think the water goes anywhere seth i think we push against it and he sort of i mean he was behind me but i could almost hear him smile and sort of nod and go yes that's right And it was almost like, okay, now we can have a conversation. Now that you've got that particular, you've got through that gate, like (laughs) that checkpoint, now we
1: can have a conversation about life. (laughs) You've passed the test. And maybe that's also, I mean, that's just an interesting tactic in terms of you're having a conversation with someone. What better way to set the tone and say, hey, this is how this conversation is going to go, get you the the co-participant in the right mindset than to start with a question like that that gets you actually thinking. I love it. Yeah. Okay. And so then, after you'd been out for a paddle, did did you guys hang out for a little while after that?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So we went back to went back to Seth's office for a cup of tea, which is which is what we've done in the past. And and then, you know, and I guess another question, sort of, was most memorable from there, which was we we sat down on the couch with a with a cup of tea, and Seth said, okay, so where's the book? When's when's your book coming out? Which you know, we hadn't talked necessarily about me writing a book. He, he didn't know that that was something I was pondering. He just kind of assumed based on the conversation we'd had while paddling, he just assumed that now was the next step for me was to write a book. Right. And so I kind of fumbled through a few things around, here's what I've been thinking. And here's some of the workshops I've been running. And here's some ideas I have on leadership. And maybe it could be a book and maybe it couldn't and I mean, this is a 20 times best-selling author, someone who's also published like hundreds of books for other people. It was kind of like, it was, you know, I think I described it to you as like talking to a supercomputer and just watching, watching him process everything I was saying. And then pretty quickly, he like ran to the bookshelf, came back with four books, threw them on the table and was kind of like, okay, so you can learn from this particular book about the size of it. You can learn from this t- particular book about the structure of it. But I think what you're describing is something that looks a little more like this. And basically, he, he packaged up my rambles and ideas into this, what here? what I heard reflected back to me was like quite well put together, book idea, book proposal. And then the kicker, of course, Seth being Seth was, and so you should have that done by the time you get back to Melbourne, right? Like it's a 24-hour it's a flight from New York, so <laughs> you'll get it done by the time we get back.
1: The thing I like about this story is it tells you why the greats are the greats. Um, he really is thinking at another level and he's just kind of moving at 10 steps ahead at, at all times. Okay. Well, I, look, I think this is a fascinating story for me, but for our listeners, maybe a couple of takeaways or key lessons from spending a day with Seth Godin.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think one is, I guess it goes back ironically to that idea of why wait that we just talked about around us getting married and getting engaged in terms of, in terms of here's the book idea, why wait, just start writing and whether that's the idea that i had or the idea that seth helped me get to it kind of doesn't matter that wasn't really the point the point was start writing see what flows out of out of your brain and don't wait like get it done before you get back to melbourne so that idea of you know urgency in a healthy way as opposed to procrastination in an unhelpful way i think definitely resonates and is very is very seth godin i think the other thing is is you know and I, and I know this intellectually but it was a, i was reminded of it as even if you don't end up with a published book that you go on to market the process of writing is thinking the process of writing is going to help you structure your thoughts which then feeds into the workshops that i run which feeds into the coaching that i do which feeds into the podcast that i record so all of that is benefited by way of just showing up to write and then I guess the other one is like you mentioned, I mean, Seth, is he's a, he's a legend for a reason, right? Like he is able to process and think on a level that I've never witnessed before. And the fact that I have the ability to have a conversation with him, I'm just like super lucky and grateful that he's generous enough to give me his time and to act as a supercomputer in that moment. So, yeah, very fortunate
1: it's a story like that that makes me really glad that I chose this podcast to not be focused on one topic and instead let's focus on a year in the life of Pete because who has stories like that to tell I mean what an amazing day out with one of the great such uh great learnings in such a compressed and condensed amount of time that's uh, really rare so yeah thank you for sharing that and I guess maybe continuing on a similar thread I'll get to the final question The other interesting story, and this is kind of work related, but I promise it's not really shop talk. I'm more (laughs) interested in the the human side of the story here. So uh, look, the whole idea behind starting this podcast was to uncover the interesting stories that happen behind the scenes of the wonderful people I come across in my work life. So in that sense, I really liked your story about how you juggled things during covid when you were delivering this series of workshops and we won't talk too much about the workshops i'm actually much more interested in you working with this big global client um and how you managed to juggle things in this in the midst of a pandemic and a lockdown so yeah without going into the shop talk side of things maybe you can share how you dealt with delivering this program from a bedroom in melbourne during a lockdown Yeah,
0: it's always funny to sit to peek behind the curtain. I guess in these situations. So, essentially, what happened is I was running a, I was tasked with running a a global leadership development program and a series of workshops for a big Fortune 500 company that spanned every continent. And so, I was running sessions in Northern Europe, Eastern Europe, Western Europe, Southern Europe, North America, South America, Asia Pacific, and some parts of the Middle East, and was tasked with doing that, like you mentioned, from my bedroom, our spare bedroom, which became my office slash place to sleep spare bedroom all at once. And that sort of happened over the course of a few months. So basically, I was operating in, I don't know, five or six different time zones. And so what that looked like, like logistically behind the scenes was I would sleep for a few hours, wake up at midnight, and then my desk was, you know, two meters from where I slept and I would jump over the desk, splash some water, I'd run to the bathroom, splash some water on my face, deliver a workshop and then for two hours and then finish, jump back into bed for a couple more hours and that might have been North America and then wake up early and then it's 4 a.m. and now all of a sudden I'm in England and I'm presenting to the people that are you know, based in the London office and then I would go back to bed and rest for a couple hours and then the next one might be like, someone in Singapore. And so on and on, it just went basically every day was some random series of two or three hour naps combined with two or three hour workshops. And I think what's what's sort of hilarious about it is if you're on the other side of that workshop, you don't necessarily know that that's what's going on. All you see is an enthusiastic Australian running a series of leadership development workshops that are hopefully interesting and engaging and effective. And yet the reality behind the scenes was yeah I, I had you know i had a shirt hanging on a hanger that i would <laughs> that i would wake up and put on and i would deliver the content and get the people connecting with one another and i could see my bed but they could only see me and my bookcase behind me and so it was just kind of this hilarious like you mentioned human example of my reality versus the perceived reality and how actually it ended up being a great project for covid because there wasn't much else to do
1: it sounds like a combination somewhere between uh uh a sort of torture and you know kind of doing some of the best work of your life that you put yourself through there but it's amazing that you pulled through maybe next time you can uh work around the time zones in a more friendly way to yourself but I think one of the interesting things that comes out of that is as you say you're set up with your camera it looks all professional behind you but there's a bed in front but in the same way, it breaks down some of those barriers because you've got these very senior executives on the other side of the world. They're probably also sitting in their bedroom and, and you know, kind of you're seeing the human factor from them as well, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's the kind of the meta point is it almost doesn't feel like there's as much at stake because we're all just humans sitting in our bedroom or in our spare bedroom or in our lounge room. And that's actually quite, quite a source of connection, I think, in many ways.
1: Yeah, and I think that's interesting. You can't take yourself too seriously in these type of situations. Were there any kind of funny moments that you'd you'd point out, or funny stories that came out as a result of this?
0: Oh, I mean, in the spirit of not taking myself too seriously, there was a moment where so there must have been a—I believe there was a—you know—a moment in time where we were out of lockdown, and so had the ability to 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 move around the state a little bit, the state of Victoria, and so. Tracy and I decided we'd go down to a town called Ocean Grove, which is where I grew up to my parents' house because they were away. They'd managed to escape to a different state. They're in Queensland. And so we thought, let's go down there for a bit of a sea change. And then as we were like on the way down there, inevitably the lockdown got reinstated. And so we realized we were going to get stuck and locked down in Ocean Grove for longer than we'd planned on being there, which was fine. And I thought that's okay. We've got our laptop. We've got our we've got our screens and computers. We've got a couple of changes of clothes, so we should be fine. And then, about two days later, I had to run one of these sessions that we were talking about, and I realized I didn't have like a nice collared shirt to wear for the executive team of this giant company. And I was like, Oh my god, what am I going to do? None of the shops are open, obviously, because it's COVID. And so I went to my <laughs> I went into my dad's cupboard and. Pulled out some of the ugliest salmon and beige shirts you could possibly imagine. <laughs> and did my best to try and find just like a plain blue collared shirt that smelt like my dad that didn't fit me at all, but that I tucked into my pants. And when I sat on Zoom, I think it kind of just looked like I was wearing a normal collared shirt. And so that was like another example of here's Pete with his collared shirt on, but the reality was so much different in terms of what I was going through. <laughs>
1: I love that that, that's the benefit of working in a window this big because who knows what's going on with a shirt below that especially when you're six foot seven it must be pretty hard to find somebody else's shirt that fits you
0: it was a shocking fit but (laughs) yeah i think you're right from the chest up it looked all right
1: (laughs) amazing well look pete this has been an awesome conversation i can't thank you enough for joining me here today before we go let's do some plugs where can people find out more about you your podcast and your business
0: Yeah. So, humanperiscope.com is where everything lives. There's links to the podcast, which is called The Long and the Short of It. And my
1: blog and everything that you need is all over at
0: humanperiscope.com.
1: And that book uh, that Seth Godin uh, encouraged you to write, I'm sure it's coming. It's coming soon, right?
0: It's coming. coming. Yeah, I'm working on it.
1: Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you again so much, Pete, for joining us here today. And thanks, everyone out there for listening. That's enough watercaller chat for today. Let's all get back to work. I'm Arma Iqbal. And I'm Pete Shepard. Stay tuned and I'll see you soon.